Last week, we started the study of a man who lived 3,000 years ago. He was king, and God had blessed him with every possible gift. He had looks. He had money. He had just all kinds of good things going on in his life. God actually gave him a, a great span of peace, which was unusual for kings during that time frame. But in last Sunday's message, we saw that one day he woke up with living this good life that all of us would like to live, and he said to himself, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He left us a book called Ecclesiastes, which is really a journal of his search. When Solomon thought he hadn't discovered what life was about, he determined to set out and find out what life was about. And that's what our series is all about. It's going to be about for the next five Sundays. I remember back in February when I was thinking about this series, I, I was in Dallas for the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And Mary Alice and I were in one of these hamburger kind of restaurants and it had, you know, it was a family-style restaurant, and there were video games. And I remember just a few feet away from the table where I was sitting, I was watching a little girl, maybe about six years old, and she had walked over to the, uh, the claw game, you know, where you sort of navigate the claw and try to pick up what, whatever it is that you think you want. And there was, a, there was a paper sign, or, you know, there was an adhesive sign on the front of that game that got my attention. And here's what it said. It said, play till you win. Play till you win. And I, I just sort of sat there because I, 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 I had this arcade series kind of formulating in my head. And, and I watched this little girl and I thought about what was that message saying to that little girl? Play till you win. Keep at this until you find what you're looking for. Well, you know, that's one thing for a little girl to drop tokens, you know, or 25 cents into a machine, try and navigate the claw and try to get something worth taking home. But how many people go to Vegas with the same idea? Play till you win, you know, just keep feeding the machines, keep feeding the slots, you know, and go to the tables and play till you win. But I, I've never been to Vegas, but I've seen pictures. One, time, one thing about it, when you look at Vegas and you see those bright lights and those big hotels, you need to remember that those weren't built by winners. That's right. All that glitzy stuff, the glamour, the lights and stuff, that's paid for by losers because the games are all rigged to fit the ha to, to, to favor the house now Solomon is going to go into the arcade of life and he's going to try all the games that's what our sermon is about today and I got to tell you it's a challenge and I'm just I won't tell the late service this is a lot larger service you know we're a little bit more intimate in here in the smaller early service so I'm going to tell you a few things that I don't always tell that the next crowd I got to tell you firsthand this is a challenge for a pastor to preach from this chapter most pastors in their right minds stay away from this chapter, but then I just explained to you why we're in it today, okay? So take your Bibles and look in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 because Solomon is going to go into the arcade of life and he's going to try to play till he wins. And we're going to see what he tries. But like I told you last Sunday, the good thing about this is you and I don't have to do this stuff. See, here's, here's what's behind today's message. Most people will never try all the things that Solomon is going to try in this chapter. They just don't have the money to do it. They think if they had it, it would make them happy. The problem is they're going to live out their lives and die with carrots out there in front of them, still trying to find out what it will take to make them happy. A good thing for us today is we're going to have a chance to read Solomon's putt. We're going to look at his survey, his study, and we can, we can learn from, from watching him. So here we go. Now, if you, if you saw your worship folder today, I, I wrote a little message to you uh, that had to do with cable TV. I re, I'm so old, I can remember what it was like when, you know, growing up in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we had the three network affiliates and then maybe a couple of independents and public television. So there are about five channels. And, and it was amazing to me how that, I don't know, maybe it's just me, there was always something on, you know? I could find something I wanted to watch with five channels. Then 
in, in Texas, where I, I was in the early 80s, about 1980 or so, cable television hit. And all of a sudden, we got all these channels. And you know, you can click through it. Today, there's 100 plus channels. You know, there, there's channel 525 or whatever. How many of us have, especially guys, clicked through the channels and said, you know what, 100 channels and nothing's on? Well, today we're going to see Solomon. He's going to click through the channels of life, and I'm going to try to help, you know, organize this search by giving each one of these search, uh, one of these searches a cable channel to help you see how Solomon's going through these searches. So let's start out. Solomon is going to click on, he's going to, he's going to find the comedy channel. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? Solomon is saying, still haven't found what I'm looking for. I got money. I got sex. I got power. I got good days. I got good things happening, but I'm still unhappy. Maybe I'm taking it too hard. I need to take it easier, and I need to laugh. I need to go out to the comedy clubs, and I need to find things that make me laugh. That's where a lot of Americans are today. We like to laugh. I mean, comedy, if you think about it, is a big part of our life, and there's nothing wrong with laughing. This very guy, Solomon, would write in the book of Proverbs that, that laughter does the heart good, like medicine. But he just surrounded himself with laughter, and at the end of the day, you know, he turned off the channel, and he said, I'm laughing, but I don't know what I'm laughing about. This is crazy. So he decided to dull the pain. This is in verse 3. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Now, what a jaded perspective. But Solomon is saying, you know, I've looked around, and it seems like the only time people are happy is when they're drunk or when they're high. And so Solomon said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get high. And so he tried substance abuse. Now, I want to say something. That's a big thing in America today because there are a lot of people. And this is what really blows my mind today. I'm amazed at how many teenagers saturate themselves in alcohol. And we're watching a lot of bad things that happen in the news when, when not just kids, but, but people of all, all ages soak themselves in substance abuse. And one of the problems that we have in our culture today is we have this sort of sappy culture that can't tell the difference between right and wrong. And the sad thing is when these kids get drunk and get themselves in trouble and find themselves in a lot of pain, there's not a voice to say, don't get yourself smashed and drunk and then go out and try to navigate your way through life. But Solomon's saying, I tried this, but it didn't work. And, and uh, there's you know, several, several reasons why substance abuse will never work in your life. Number one is that when you come off the high, your problems will still be there. Number two, it'll always take more of the substance and after a while, not only will your substance abuse not cure the problems that you're dealing with, you'll have a whole new problem with substance abuse. And so Solomon said, I tried that, it didn't work. So now, he's been foolish. You know, he's, he's turned on the comedy channel, nothing there. And he tries substance abuse, nothing there. He says, maybe I just haven't worked hard enough. So he turned on my wife's favorite channel, HGTV. That's right. That's, uh, that's ESPN for women, in case you don't know, Okay. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 4, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate many flourishing groves. I tried home projects. Hello, Home Depot. I mean, Solomon now is going to try to make himself happy by building stuff. 
And hey, we all love that. If you like projects, I'm not good with my hands. I can't saw straight or even draw a straight line, so I'm dangerous. Smartest thing I can ever do is call a professional when it comes to something like that in my house. But we all like projects. And so Solomon said, I'm going to get into projects. Now, here's one of the things. This is, as I'm going to say again today, this is the abridged search. If you want to read about this, just read 1 Kings. And you're going to see that there's a whole lot more to this. This man built massive palaces. His palace took 14 years to build. So we're not talking about a guy building a tool shed on Saturday afternoon. We're talking about a guy that seriously got into building projects. Well, Solomon said, if working isn't making me happy, maybe I need to get other people to do my work. That's an American concept. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 7, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. So he tried that. That didn't work. So switch channels. Let's go over to the animal channel. Ecclesiastes 2 7, I owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And again, when you read through 1 Kings, take a look at how many horses this guy had. He had thousands of the world's finest horses. You understand there were, no, there were no Ferraris in those days. There were no Porsches. So this, this was what kings did. They had fast horses. And some of us still like horses today. But Solomon, he had, he had stalls and stables of herds and flocks and horses. More, he said, than any king had ever lived before him. Well, that didn't make him happy. So he did the thing that a lot of Americans think would do it. He switched over to CNBC. Money matters. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 8, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. Well, that's good. Solomon's getting lots of gold. How much gold? First Kings tells us in chapter 10 verse 14, each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. You can do the math. And at a very conservative estimate, at a very low price for gold, that's about $320 million each year. That's massive. You know, it was one of the guys who just retired from... CEO position from one of the oil companies here. Got a $400 million, you know, severance package or whatever. Think about that. $320 million every year, not just one time in his career, but a year. And then verse 15 says, this did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders in all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. This guy just kept racking up money. He was the richest guy in the world. Probably one year's income was more than anybody else had. And he kept racking up money through the years. Didn't make him happy. So I decided maybe, maybe, maybe I need something else in my life. And he switched over to MTV. Here we go. This is in chapter 2, verse 8. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I want to listen to some music. I want to jam. I want to enjoy music. And that didn't make him happy. So at this point in his life, he said, I'm going to have to really get serious about finding life and finding enjoyment he went into the premium channels and pulled up the Playboy channel. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8, he says, He had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. First King says, He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Those are just women that were there for his pleasure. You talk about excess. I mean, that's to the point of insanity. But, I mean, he's in the after-hours mode now, and he's, he's saying, I'm going to make myself happy. I'm just going to do everything, whatever it takes. I'm going to make myself happy. But the verse we just read said that didn't help him. In fact, they turned his heart away from the Lord. So Solomon said, well, <clears throat> maybe I just need to get serious about life. And so he turned on CNN and became a news junkie. This is in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 12. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness 
For who can do this better than I, the king? So he turned on Handy and Combs, and he heard both sides of the story. Still didn't find what he was looking for, so he switched channels and hit the food channel. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24. So I decided there was nothing better than to enjoy food and drink. Now, I, I don't know, you know, a lot of us here today, you know, there's some men, women, they're old, young, middle-aged, young, whatever. I don't know who does uh, the shopping in your home situation, but I want you to listen to the shopping that had to go on for just one day for this man's house. Now, here's what you'll read. I don't have time to, to pull up the text right now, but when you're reading 1 Kings, you'll discover that Solomon had appointed 12 individuals, and these were like, these were like corporate executives, 12 executives. Each one of those executives had the responsibility of feeding Solomon's household for one month. That meant that each one of these individuals, these corporate executive types, worked 11 months out of the year. On the one month, they would put food on Solomon's family's table. Here's why. 1 Kings 4.22, the daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour, 300 bushels of meal, also 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice, choice poultry. That would wipe Dylan's out if that was your family for one day. One day. That's all. Just one day. Solomon said, I'm going to try food. Now, guys, I'm just giving you the abridged edition. If you want to read 1 Kings, you'll read. This will all be extrapolated out for you. You can see what kind of search this guy was in. So how did it come out? Which one was it that made him happy? Which one was the one that was the one that Solomon said, this is what I'm looking for? Last week, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Boy, we've run the litany here in chapter 2. Which one made him happy? Well, before we get to that answer, look at verse 9 because he's going to tell you how he felt. He said, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Look at this. Anything I wanted, I would take. I decide my, des, denied myself no pleasure. Solomon says three things. First of all is the Muhammad Ali statement. Solomon said, I was the greatest. I was the best. Well, that's the American dream, isn't it? I pull in the, park, the parking lot at the corporation, I got the best car. People drive into my neighborhood, I got the best house. I walk into a room full of women, got the best clothes. And Solomon said, I was that person. I was the greatest. He was the Richard Corey. He was the, the one who was the one to be emulated. He was the one that everybody envied, the one everybody wanted to be. Solomon said, no doubt about it, I was the greatest. Nobody put him, you know, in GQ, nobody put him in a group of, you know, the hundred best-dressed men in Israel. He was the best-dressed man. He was the sexiest man alive. He was the best, he said. I was the greatest. Number two, anything I wanted, I took. How would you like that? I'd just like to go down to Rodeo Drive, buy anything you want. I'd just like to go to all the, the, the royal car dealerships, any car you want, buy it. I want it. Any house you want, it's mine. I buy it. As many as you want, as many cars as you want, as many houses as you want, as many sex partners as you want. That's Solomon. He was saying, he said, anything I wanted, I took. You, you see what I'm saying? Most of us will never get there. That, that carrot will always be out in front of us because we won't ever get to that place in life. But Solomon's saying, I got there. If I wanted, I bought it. And then finally, he said, 
I denied myself no pleasure. I did whatever I felt like doing. And you and I are not going to get there either because we live in a democracy. But Solomon was king. He had total power. He had total authority. Nobody said, you can't do that. Boy, that's human, isn't it? We, we, we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We don't want anybody to comment on it. And Solomon said, I got there. I did it. If I want to do it, I did it. I did what I felt like doing. Nobody could tell me no. Now, just make sure that you got all that with me. He said, I was the greatest. Anything I wanted, I bought. I did whatever I felt like doing. So that's it, right? Happiness. Look at verse 17. So I came to hate life. Isn't that interesting? See, you and I will never get there, but he got there and he said, I hated life. I don't want to get up in the morning. All this stuff. Play till you win. Just keep playing. And I played and I played. And talk about your major players. He was the ultimate player, but he said, I hated life. Verse 11, as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was so meaningless like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Verse 20, so I gave up in despair. So where does that leave us? Because see, you know, I know we're dressed for church and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no fool. I know we're doing the religious thing this morning. And we came to worship. We've had a wonderful time in worshiping. But I also know we're Americans. And no generation in the history of the world has had the potential to go for this kind of life like you and me. And even though we love the Lord and we follow the Lord and we read the Bible and we want to go to church, there's still a part of us that's like Solomon that's saying, if I just had this, I'd be happy. If I just had this sex partner, if I just had this this house, if I had this money, if I could do what I wanted to do and I could get out from under my parents and they're just crimping my style, if I could just get free. And yet here was the guy who did it, and he said, I hated life. I couldn't find anything meaningful anywhere, and I just gave up. What's the answer? Go forward in time till the one lived who you just sang about a few moments ago. You remember the song you sang? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this world will grow very dim. Here is what Jesus said. All four of the Gospels covered this. All four Gospels report this. This is the same statement that all four Gospels make. Here's what Jesus said. And I've, you talk about a life point. This is our life point today. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. When you read about all the stuff that Solomon was doing, what comes out of it? I don't know what hits you, but what hits me was that he was a consumer Everything that he he tried was for consumption. It was about him. It was about pouring stuff in in order to make himself happy. And that's where many of us of us live. I mean, we're consumers. That's what that's what that's what causes problems in our marriages. We're consuming. We're trying to look at everything from how how does this affect me, and this, this affects our relationship with our parents and with our kids and with our friends and with the people we work with because we're consumers. 
And yet Jesus said, if you try to hold on to this life, you're going to lose it. And he said, if you let it go, you're going to find your life. There are a lot of stories that I could have used to end the service with today that maybe helped us get some vantage point for this. But I pulled this story from probably the least, probably one of the least likely people I could imagine using for a story. It's Jim Baker. Jim Baker of PTL fame. We all know about, many of us know about Jim Baker. He's a very famous televangelist kind of a name it and claim it, wealth and prosperity kind of guy, you know, lived in the big homes and just all the stuff that's bad that we associate with ministry done wrong. He got in trouble and he went to prison. That's where I want to pick up the story because Jim Baker tells this story. And if you'll give me a few moments, I want to read something to you because I think when I get through, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. He writes, when I was transferred to my last prison, Franklin Graham said he wanted to help me when I got out with a job, a house to live in, and a car. It was my fifth Christmas in prison. I thought it over and said, Franklin, you can't do this. It will hurt you. The Grams don't need my baggage. He looked at me and said, Jim, you were my friend in the past, and you're my friend now. So when I got out of prison, the Grams sponsored me and paid for a house for me to live in and gave me a car to drive. The first Sunday out, Ruth Graham called the halfway house I was living in at the Salvation Army and asked permission for me to go to the Montreat Presbyterian Church with her that Sunday morning. When I got there, the pastor welcomed me and sat me with the Graham family. There were like two whole rows of them. I think every Graham aunt and uncle and cousin was there. The organ began playing and the place was full except for the seat next to me. Then the doors opened and in walked Ruth Graham. She walked down that aisle and sat next to inmate 0740758. I had only been out of prison 48 hours, but she told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. Afterwards, she had me up to their cabin for dinner. When she asked me for some addresses, I pulled this envelope out of my pocket to look for them. In prison, you're not allowed to have a wallet, so you just carry an envelope. She asked, don't you have a wallet? And I said, well, yeah, this is my wallet. After five years of brainwashing in prison, you think an envelope is a wallet. She walked into the other room and came back and said, here's one of Billy's wallets. He doesn't need it. He can have it. Jim Baker is just about everything bad I can think of attached to ministry. Billy Graham is just about everything good that I can think of that I associate with ministry. I could tell you 10 dozen reasons why Billy Graham and Ruth Graham shouldn't have had anything at all to do with Jim Baker. I could could name you at least 10 dozen reasons. See, the thing about a guy like Billy Graham is I I think a lot of people misunderstand. You know, they think he's great because he stands in front of people. That's so backward. He stands in front of people because he's great. It is what he is in these private moments. Billy Graham is a giver. Ruth Graham is a giver. And that's why they are who they are. I I, I tell you this story today because I watched him this week. He he was receiving some kind of honor, and I watched him as he walked forward, 87 years old, with his walker. It won't be long before God calls Billy Graham home. I couldn't help juxtaposing Billy Graham against Solomon because, in a way, they have many similarities. 
Both came from wonderful families. Both were greatly gifted by God. Both had great potential to, to serve the Lord. Both are charismatic. Both are energetic. Both are brilliant men. Both loved God. Both had good minds. But Solomon's life crashed and burned. Billy Graham has ridden the horse fast across the finish line. When I look at the difference between those two men, it is this. Solomon, with all he brought to the table, was a consumer. Billy Graham is a giver. If you want to be happy today in your life, there's only one way to be happy. Jesus said it. He said, if you try to hold on to your life, if you try to be a consumer, you will lose your life. It will get away from you. But if you give it away, he would add for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, you would find life everlasting. Have you found what you're looking for today? If you're still searching and you're still hungry and stuff isn't making you happy, you need to ask yourself a question. You need to ask, am I a taker or am I a giver? If you're a consumer, if you're a taker, that's why you're not happy. You need to just bow your head today and say, Lord, as of today, as of right now, I'm going to stop being a consumer. I'm going to stop trying to find my happiness in what I can consume. I'm going to set my course to give my life. Would you bow your head with me, please? If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, that's where it all begins. The greatest decision in the world is to invite Jesus Christ into your life. And the Bible tells us the story. I give it to you every week because it's the most important thing in the world. It is that God loved you and gave his son to die on a cross for your sins. His death became a payment for all the bad things that separate us from God. Eternal life is a gift. You can't join a church to get it. You're not baptized to get it. Being a good person won't get it for you. Because who can be perfect? It's a gift. You either receive it as a gift from Jesus or you turn it away. Here's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, believing on him. That's the deal. Somebody will say, well, if God is really real, why doesn't he just become visible and prove it to me? Well, he'd take away your only opportunity to receive salvation because the only way to receive it is by faith. That's what God values more than anything else, more than your money, more than your time, is your faith. Now, here's the simple version. Romans 10, verse 13 for whoever, whoever, anybody, that's you. No matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've said, what you've thought, some of the stuff that was on Solomon's list may have saturated your life, and yet, here's what God says. Whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That could be you. I want to pray a prayer with you. And if you've never prayed to receive Christ, these aren't the only words you could use, but I'll help you with some today. And if you mean them from your heart, God will listen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. But I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave. Please come into my life. Forgive me and save me. I trust Jesus alone for my salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.